I'm singing it because, you know, I don't want to use it and then get sued. But they can't sue me for singing it. Unless it was so well sung that triggers like the, the, the copyright thing on YouTube. That's how good. Anyway, welcome to podcast today for August 4th. 2016. Still not quite up to speed on the fact that it's August. Still kind of weird to me. As you might have noticed by me humming the theme song, I said I'll probably talk about Harry Potter more in the future, and then I watched Harry Potter last night, so I'm going to just talk about Harry Potter. Because who doesn't like Harry Potter? As I said, I will preface this, I'm not a super Potter nerd, but I'm uh, more of an adjacent Potter nerd. I'm I'm like dipping my toe in, in the Potter nerdum, but I'm not like fully non-stop invested in Harry Potter. I'm sure a few are. Though a lot of people are. That book, that well, kind of a book, sold two million copies in two days. It clearly means an awful lot to an awful lot of people. But yeah, last night I watched Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, or if you are in America, it's called Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, because philosopher is probably too highbrow for Americans. That is actually the reason. The reason is because they thought a child would not want to read a book with the word philosopher in the title, so they changed it to sorcerer to make it magicer. <laughs> it's like, guys, don't think so little of children. Children don't know the difference between sorcerers and philosophers. Well, they do, but, you know, realistically, that's not what drives them to buy the book, or maybe it is. American kids just aren't sophisticated enough. But yeah. That, that is the reason. Anyway, yeah, I, I watched Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone last night, and that's a good film. Because it's, it's weird in that those films kind of developed, they basically follow the books in terms of tone, and that's, that's kind of hard not to be the case, considering Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, the book, was released in 1997, as opposed to the film, which was released in 2001, so it's not like the books had taken the darker turn before the films had started being released. They hadn't, because the books had not reached that stage in their development where they became kind of darker and more adult-leaning. So that kind of fed into the films. There's a number of things that, that stand out. This is a very Spielberg-y film, and apparently he was on the short list of people to direct before Chris Columbus was chosen to direct the film. You know, Chris Columbus has a bit of a history of producing family films. He directed Home Alone, he wrote The Goonies, you know, so it's not really outside of his wheelhouse to delve into Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. I'm going to say Philosophers. If you're American and you want me to say Sorcerers, I'm not going to do it. It's not the name of the book. I think Philosophers are great people, and I'm willing to assume the children are going to know what a philosopher is. <laughs> but yeah, Chris Columbus, he brought the right tone to this film. Watch, watching this film, it's very much a family film. It's more of a fantasy adventure than it is a YA film, because that, that's kind of the way that the early Harry Potter books leaned. They were, they were kids' books before they became YA books. They, they were kind of squarely aimed at the 8 to 12 market, I would have said, before they started leaning up toward teen e people and this this film captures that tone particularly like i was talking about spielbergian it is rather spielbergian if spielberg were to make a harry potter film i think it would look more or less like this to the extent that john williams did the score and i think john williams score does an awful lot of the heavy lifting in the entire series because it creates that sense of wonder and awe and whimsy and kind of adventure and and grandeur it captures all of those things in that one brilliant little score and they they lean on that score as as like star wars leans on his music even though he obviously still makes the music for the star wars films he's not doing rogue one but they still use a remixed version of the force theme in the trailer so john williams music is is fairly iconic it's still being used to sell things that that you know are probably not as good well I've insisted on this in the past, and I think I've said it before here. I do believe John Williams' music did, like, 
60% of the heavy lifting of the original Star Wars trilogy. Like, without that music, you know, from the, the very first frame of that film, when the Star Wars theme kicks in and you have the, the classic title crawl, that sets the tone. And without that theme song, that's not working nearly as well. So, George Lucas, thank John Williams. He has done some wonderful work. And yeah, in this film, it, it sets the tone of this film. There's, there's a sense of wonder from the very beginning. Like, I hummed the opening notes of the theme song as I started the show, and it's iconic. It's, it's gone down as iconic. When you think of Harry Potter films, you think of that theme song, because it's great. Also notable, not just the music and the direction and the tone of the film, of course, there is the actors, which, before we get into the young lads, it's basically every notable British actor of a generation putting on fancy hats and saying wacky words. <laughs> John Hurt playing Mr. Ollivander. Alan Rickman uh, as Snape. Alan Rickman is so good as Snape. He is, like, annoyingly good. <laughs> he captures that kind of distant, angry, but ultimately respected tone that you want out of Snape and, and mysterious. And he has this odd habit as Snape of talking without his mouth really moving. He says the words without moving his mouth all that much. It's perfect for Snape. It's like, yeah, that fits that character. Apparently the role was originally offered to Tim Roth and he turned it down to do Planet of the Apes, which I'm sure he's regretting. But I, c I can't imagine anybody else but Alan Rickman as Snape which will very much disappoint me when they no doubt reboot the Harry Potter series in 20 years' time to make new ones. And obviously Alan Rickman sadly passed away, and even then, by the time they would have rebooted it, he would have been long past the point where he could have played Snape, and it's just not going to be as good. Even like Maggie Smith as Minerva McGonagall, who is apparently J.K. Rowling's first choice for the part, and like, you can see why. She's perfect perfectly fits that role because apparently it was a stipulation of J.K. Rowling's because she sold the rights to the first four Harry Potter books for one million pounds. And when you think about that, just this film alone, just Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, it was made for a budget of 125 million and it made 974 million dollars. You really undersold that. <laughs> Mrs. Rowling, though I don't think she's particularly wanting for money. I think she got a cut of the gross as well, but I'm not entirely certain about that. But yeah, one of these stipulations that the cast be entirely British or Irish which is interesting because when you consider Robbie Coltrane who played Hagrid, apparently Robin Williams was considered for the role and even for uh, Molly Weasley, Rosie O'Donnell was considered for that role. And like, I could kind of see Robin Williams as, as Hagrid. You can kind of see how that works. But yeah, I think keeping it British was a smart move. Mostly because American actors are terrible. And of course, you, you cannot talk about these films without talking about Richard Harris's Dumbledore. He was the better Dumbledore. Though it's interesting, I think... Richard Harris and Michael Gambon both capture the two different sides of Dumbledore because Richard Harris is more the loving, compassionate, caring father figure kind of Dumbledore. And then I always kind of got the kind of mysterious, darker, you don't really know what he's doing. Is he kind of a reckless hazard to these children kind of Dumbledore out of the, the Michael Gambon? Because that is kind of the two sides of that character. He's Is he doing the best for those young children in this particular moment in time? Who knows? Whereas in the early films, and it does kind of fit with the tone that that's not really something that's explored in the earlier films quite as much. Whereas, so Richard Harris's Dumbledore is more of a loving kind of warm person as opposed to dark and mysterious, which is kind of the direction Dumbledore goes as the books and films progress because the films are extremely faithful to the books. In fact, I'm pretty sure J.K. Rowling oversaw the script and even removed some lines that were like would have directly contradicted events in the books that had yet been released at that stage. Then you, you reach the, the main three, Daniel Radcliffe, Rupert Grint, and Emma Watson, who played Harry Potter, Ron Weasley, and Hermione Granger. They hit on some gold there because that could have went very wrong. 
because they were three unknowns that they cast to hang this gigantic franchise on top of. And, you know, they kind of, they did a good job. You can see, especially in the early stages of this film, you can actually see how Daniel Radcliffe grows as an actor during the film itself. And that kind of happens a lot when you see kids in films where in the early scenes, they're kind of very wooden, very kiddish. And then as the film progresses, you can actually see them improving. You can actually see them growing into the role. And obviously by the time you get to freaking Order of the Phoenix and, and Deathly Hallows by the end, these are these are damn fine young actors doing a damn fine job as opposed to like kid actors who do a serviceable job, which is all you can expect out of kid actors. I never trust when kid actors are actually like properly great actors. It's like, what's wrong with you? You shouldn't have like the emotional experience to be able to draw that kind of stuff down. Because that's what acting is. It draws on emotional experiences to convey a, a message that is not necessarily related to your own, but certainly based on your own experiences, you draw that emotion out. Whereas if you're 11, you don't really have that kind of well of experience to draw on. You can see Emma Watson is acting hardest in this film. She, she, she's aggressive in her acting, but they do a great job. Those three, th this franchise was entirely hung on them and it could have been a disaster and it wasn't. So fair play to those three. This, this film is largely responsible for world building. They're, they're like It introduces Voldemort, of course. It introduces all of the characters. It, says, it introduces the wonderful world of Hogwarts, which is brilliantly realized on film. It looks awesome. Whoever did the set job and all of that for that film. Tremendous work. Though I, I do have a quibble. <laughs> this is more of a flaw. This has nothing to do with the, 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 the sets or anything. Or they're caught for going out late at night. And, you know, they go down to Hagrid's and they're, they're nammed by Professor McGonagall. And it's like, your punishment for being out late at night is to be sent into these dark woods at night that you're usually forbidden from going into. Yeah! <laughs> uh, Hogwarts and, and punishment really, you know, not very good at it. I actually didn't mention John Cleese, of course, who's also in this film as Nearly Headless Nick. As I said, the Harry Potter series is basically the best actors of a British generation putting on silly clothes and saying silly words. That's what this film is. But it's joyful. It, it's very much, it's leaning toward being kind of a family-friendly, fun, happy, adventurous kids film. It's it's not going for much more than that. And it does go for more than that as the films progress because that's the way the books go, as I said. It's a good film. It's solid. When you have a cast that good, it's, it's really hard to screw it up. And Chris Columbus was a, a kind of right choice for the early films because Chris Columbus would go on to direct Chamber of Secrets and Prisoner of Azkaban before stepping aside. And, you know, he, he did a good job of setting up that franchise in the right way. So um, I'm going to review all of the Harry Potter films. I'm not going to do it in the same way I did for the X-Men films, where I did one a day every single day until, you know, they were done. I'm, I'm going to space out the Harry Potter films a little more. But yeah, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Good film. You can listen to new episodes of podcasts a day every single day at soundcloud.com forward slash TWSKK. You can subscribe on iTunes. Just search for TWS Network. Or follow me on Twitter at Gary Kidney, G-A-O-R-E-T-T-K-I-D-N-E-Y. Thanks for listening and bye-bye.